Hello and welcome to episode 62 of Prosperity by the Pie. I'm your host, Bryce Carter, Certified Financial Planner, Charter Financial Consultant, Certified Investment Management Analyst, and Self-Proclaimed Millennial Money Expert. This is a podcast where we talk about money, investing, business, and life success, all while having a cold beer. Cold beer of the week, this is why I keep looking down because I'm really excited to try this, is the Perrin Brewing Company 98 Problems IPA. Here it is. 98 Problems IPA from Parent. It is, uh, they say, our IPA balance is a sweet multi-backbone along with a blend of West Coast hops. This is how an IPA should taste. This is uh, from Michigan, of course, when I, I always try to get Michigan beers if I can. And uh, I've actually been to Parent Brewing Company. It's a really cool warehouse setup. Uh, great food, great people. Can't wait to get back there when the world starts spinning again. So I'm going to pour this and tell you what we're talking about this week. First, if you didn't hear my last announcement, I've uh, been off for a couple weeks here. First, we had Memorial Day weekend, and then my wife and I were blessed enough to welcome our newest addition to the family, Baby Bree Marie. Uh, and so I've been home just celebrating and enjoying her company, enjoying my wife's company, and that's been a true blessing. So I, I appreciate your patience on a couple of weeks without episodes. And now I'm back at it, and I'm really excited about this week, which is... Let's talk about gold. So I get a lot of, lot of questions about gold and uh, people are either all in about gold as an investment or all in about it as a hedge or, uh, or, or don't like it or know much about it at all really as an investment. So I've been wanting to do an episode on this for a while, but it's something I wanted to be pretty thorough about. So the time off gave me some time, write, read, script this out, bullet point it. You guys know I don't script, but bullet points. And uh, I think you're gonna enjoy this topic. So. Before we get into that, let's cheers the beer, shall we? That is fantastic. Damn, that's good. This could, uh, some cheesy pretzels is what I need with that. Some cheesy pretzels sitting outside on a patio in the sun. That is a lovely IPA. I'm going to chalk that up as one of my favorites. Uh, uh, yeah, that's good. Could be because I haven't been drinking lately and I really wanted a beer. But it is damn good. So let's talk about gold. <clears throat> gold as an asset class is old. It's really old. Uh, I mean, you can go back as far as 2000 BC and the Egyptians were using it to make jewelry. And jewelry is a va valuable thing, right? It can be traded. But really as a currency, it goes back to like 500-600 BC. Uh, historians think 560 BC is around when when gold started to be in, used as a, as a currency, right? So it was traded as a physical currency, primarily through uh, coins uh, for hundreds and hundreds of years. And then sometime in the seven or eight hundreds, uh, the Europeans started using gold as a uh, backing for other types of currencies. So you have paper currencies or maybe a coin that represented this, that or the other marks. Sometimes they were called. Um, and so. You know, fast forward, we've all heard of the British pound. Well, the British pound stands for British pound sterling. Um, and so a British pound represents a pound of sterling silver. So we, we went through this progression where gold was seen as a, uh, and this is, I mean, this is biblically old, right? Gold was seen as a valuable because it was pretty and it's a lure for jewelry and different things. And then it was used as a currency via true currency like coins and things like that. And then it's, it was used to back currency. So eventually we, we, we fast forward and, and when the U.S. declared independence, there was all kinds of different currency systems throughout the United States, but we needed a standard nationalized currency. So we created what was called a 
bimetallic currency, where it was backed by both gold and silver. And so in the United States, you had uh, U.S. dollars backed by gold and, and, and silver. And so we were on the gold standard, as were many countries at the time. Now, and I'm going to get I'm going to get to the investment aspect of this, but I think context helps a lot with 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 any topic, really. But with this gold topic, because it's 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 a really interesting one. The context helps a lot. And this is where so much of the debate happens when, when particularly I've talked recently about the U.S. spending money uh, that we don't have and borrowing. Um, some of that can be avoided with the gold standard. but I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. So. For hundreds of years, we were on a gold standard, essentially from, you know, uh, when, when we were formed until uh, the United States was formed in the 1790s, essentially, is when they started using the bimetallic system. Uh, until 1933, uh, that's when we were partially pulled off of the gold standard. So Roosevelt did it in part so the government could spend extra money in order to get us out of the Great Depression. And today, many economists agree that the Great Depression would have last significant, lasted significantly longer had we stayed on the gold standard. The reason being is it doesn't it's rigid, right? There's a finite amount of gold and much of it is still trapped in the ground. So you can't spend that money because you don't have that gold. Take us off the gold standard and all of a sudden you can spend that money. We can great debate on the morality of that, but the fact of it is we're, we got out of the Great Depression, um, you know, a lot, lot quicker than we might have otherwise, not as quick as we would have liked, right? So we were partially pulled off the gold standard in 1933. Uh, we were fully pulled off the gold standard in 1971. And therefore, our currency is now currently backed by nothing. Um, I would debate it's backed by the U.S. military and the claims paying ability of the United States government. Nobody's really going to mess with that, at least right now. Um, but it is backed by no metallic silver, gold, platinum, anything like that. As is no country's currency in the world. Now, I, I, I didn't fact check this. I, I did read this. I, I would like to look into it more, but I did read that no cur country currently backs its currency with gold, which is interesting because most countries used to. Um, so that's been quite the transition into modern economics. So modern times, currently, gold is, is seen more as an investment than a currency uh, or for, uh, still for jewelry. My, my ring, wedding ring, my wife's wedding ring are made of gold, right? Um, it's seen as an investment strategy, whether it's a safe haven or hedge, or some like to look at gold and particularly silver and silver as an apocalyptic asset, right? Everything, shit hits the fan and we go to the dark ages, we're going to be trading goods and services with gold again. Okay, I want to address this because I don't think that that's practical at all. Even if I, I, I say that an apocalyptic scenario is possible, and if I accept that premise, which I do because it is possible, I accept that premise, I don't think that we're going to be pulling, you know, uh, horse and wagon with gold and frankincense and myrrh and changing, you know, exchanging my goat's milk for, for gold at the market or anything like that. I think things that have uh, a practical value, which gold doesn't have that much practical value. It's used in some technology. Silver is used in different things, too. But practical value, um, penicillin is worth a hell of a lot more than gold, right, in an apocalyptic scenario. So it's bottled water. Arguably, lead bullets and, are, worth, are worth more than either one of those things. So an apocalyptic, as an apocalyptic asset, the United States government fails its financial obligations and the world transcends into chaos. I do not think that gold is, is going to be your safe haven. 
would I uh, make fun of you for having a couple thousand dollars worth of gold in a safe at your house or silver? No, not at all. That's fine. I mean, because worst comes to worst, you don't ever use it. Best comes to best, you don't ever use it as a apocalyptic asset. And you're looking at it as a piece of your overall net worth, overall portfolio. It's on the balance sheet. And it's not hurting you. I just don't think hoarding gold as your primary asset allocation uh, because of an apocalyptic scenario is, is a good idea. However, gold as a, as a subset, as an invest, a slice, a slice of that pie, right? The slice of your net worth, the slice of your investment portfolio as a diversifying asset class, I can get on board with that. A slice though, and the size of that slice matters a lot. So let's talk about that. Well, first, there, there's there's different ways to invest in gold, right? So the you know there's uh, there's obviously you could buy the physical aspect of gold, which is not exactly super uh, convenient, right? You got to go to brokers, uh, you're going to pay a markup. The gold is heavy, um, and so when you got to store it, it can be physically stolen. So you need a safe, you need this, that, and the other, right? I'm going to take a beer break real quick. So if we're talking about small amounts, that's fine. I mean, you could buy some uh, gold coins, you could buy some gold bars, you could buy gold jewelry. That could work. As an investment strategy, probably not super practical. Again, I'm not going to make fun of you for keeping it in your safe. But there are different ways of investing. There's gold futures, gold coins, gold companies, like gold mining or refining, uh, gold ETFs, which invest in uh, gold bullion or sometimes gold companies. you got to look into that. Uh, you got to be careful about the ETF you choose is what I'm saying. There's gold mutual funds, there's gold bullion, there's gold jewelry, okay? These are the different ways of investing in gold. I'm not going to advocate for one over another, although I will say as an investment strategy, most practically, ETFs are probably ETFs and mutual funds are probably the easiest and most transparent way of doing it. You do got to know what you're doing though and know what you're getting into. So by now, if you've been listening to the podcast, we're 62 episodes in. I hope this isn't your first one, but if it is your first one, welcome aboard. Happy to have you. Uh, you know that I'm a big fan of a diversified asset allocation portfolio. That means that portfolio is not made of a single region, single asset class, single anything. It's diversified, meaning that it owns U.S. and international companies of various different sizes, fixed income, a.k.a. bonds, probably not a lot of bonds if you're young like me, a lot of bonds if you're old and getting ready to retire. Real estate, um, hard assets, commodities, um, those kinds of things spread across your investment portfolio. That's what a diversified portfolio is. And yes, potentially precious metals. So as a standalone investment, I don't particularly like gold or silver, right? And, and here's why, is it doesn't do that well. <laughs> I mean, as a standalone, it, it will have snapshots, periods of time where it does well. But does anybody remember or think that recently you might have heard things like gold is at 30-year highs, silver is nearing 20-year highs, whatever the advertisement is. It might be on Fox Business, might be on CNBC, might be wherever, right? You're hearing that gold is at this high, gold is at that high for 30 years or 20 years, whatever the time frame may be. That means that if you bought gold 30 years ago, it took you until now to break even. So think about that. If gold is at a 30-year high, which I'm not saying it is right now, but I do remember hearing these advertisements in college, um, and gold is high right now, relatively, is is if you hear those advertisements, gold's at a 30-year high. Remember this, gold doesn't pay a dividend, right? Like, so if you buy Amazon and Amazon is at $1,400 a share, and Amazon's a bad example because they don't pay a dividend. If you buy 
uh, ExxonMobil, and ExxonMobil is at $50 a share, and 10 years from now it's at $50 a share, but it pays a 5% dividend, what'd you make? Well, it's at the same price it was, right? But you made 5% a year because they're paying a dividend. Gold, if you buy gold at $1,400 an ounce, and 30 years later it's at $1,400 an ounce, what did you make? You made nothing because they don't pay a dividend, right? In fact, you lost money after inflation. However, over snapshots, gold is volatile, right? So what I'm saying is I don't like gold as a standalone asset class because it has the same inherent risks that stocks and bonds do, right? It fluctuates in value dramatically. However, adding it as a component can, can, can help diversify the portfolio because it lacks correlation with other assets. So I'm going to get to that in a minute and explain what that means. But if you're hearing an asset is at a 30-year high, unless that asset pays a dividend or interest, that means it took you 30 years to break even. If it's you know at a 10-year high, it means it, takes, it took to you 10 years to break even if it doesn't pay a dividend or interest. And gold and silver, hard assets, do not pay dividends. Real estate can, stocks can, bonds can pay dividend and interest, but gold and precious metals do not pay dividends and interest. They do not. They are a static asset in the sense that they are not, they're not a static asset in terms of value, but they are a static asset in terms of cash flow. They do not pay cash flow. So where I'm going with this is I, I believe it can be, I don't like gold and silver as a standalone investment, but as a component, a slice in the portfolio, I like it. And here's why. Is So I'm going to read some stuff from a study by Spider. Spider is owned by State Street Global Advisors. Uh, we had Mike Riggs, one of their strategists on the podcast in the past, um, who's a good speaker, very knowledgeable individual, is they run the largest gold ETF. Uh, one of the first ones, I believe, too, might even have been the first one. Um, and, and they did a study on the effect of gold in a portfolio, in a diversified portfolio. And so what they did was they basically, they, they took a diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds that was moderate risk, something like 60-40. And they added 2, 5, and 10% as a, as a slice of the pie of, of gold. And this is what they found, is that as a standalone, gold has almost no correlation to stocks or bonds. Now, what is correlation? So if stocks are up, and uh, you're looking at an asset class that is correlated with stocks. Let's say real estate. Real estate and uh, real estate investment trusts are, are highly correlated with stocks. So stocks are up one percent on a given day, month, quarter, year. A lot of times, real estate investment trusts will be up similar amount, one one and a half percent. That means they're highly correlated. They move in sync. They move together. Um, and and stocks and bonds are often negatively correlated, depending on the bond, right? So like long-term U.S. Treasuries are negatively correlated with stocks, which means when stocks go down, long-term U.S. Treasuries tend to go up. When long-term U.S. Treasuries, uh, or when stocks go uh, up, long-term U.S. Treasuries tend to go down or be flat, right? So that's negative correlation. So positive correlation means they move together. Negative correlation means they move in opposite. What they found in this study is that gold as a standalone, if you hold it next to stocks or bonds, it's not correlated at all which means it adds a diversifying impact, right? If everything is either moving with or against each other in lockstep, it, 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 yes, you can have diversification, but it's not as effective as maybe having a piece of the portfolio have no correlation, meaning it's just going to move on its own independently. It's a diversifying factor. They also found was that gold does well when there is high and moderate inflation. So people buy gold because they're concerned about inflation. Gold does do relatively well during periods of inflation. It also does better during periods of high interest rates or low interest rates, does better during low interest rate periods and high interest rate periods. So let's think about this. 
if I can go buy a U.S. government bond during the 80s when interest rates are super high and I can go get a U.S. government bond at 8% or a CD at 10%, why would I buy gold that pays me nothing, right? I can get a guaranteed investment that's going to pay me 8 or 9 or 10% or safe, super safe investment, maybe not necessarily guaranteed, a super safe investment that pays a high fixed interest. Okay, why would I buy gold that doesn't pay me anything? But during very low periods of interest rates, for instance, right now, you get a CD, maybe if you're lucky, maybe 2%, right? You're going to get a 2% CD, might as well buy some gold, right? Because you're not, your opportunity loss is not that large. So that's what they found. They found a couple of different things here. Gold is a standalone because it's not correlated. It does okay during uh, high to moderate inflation periods, and it does better during periods of low interest rates than high interest rates. They found that by adding 2, 5, or 10% of gold to a portfolio, what you ended up with was a couple of things. One, a higher likelihood of lower risk and positive to no impact on returns. So you could actually get a better return with a lower, lower risk adjusted return. So adding gold as a slice to the portfolio or silver, for that matter, they look specifically at gold. I, I would, I'm not going to jump to conclusions, but I, I would say I would think it's highly probable that silver would have a similar impact as well as other precious metals. But specifically looking at gold, which is the most commonly traded, more commonly traded than silver, um, it, it works well as a diversifier because it has low correlation and it can have good returns at periods of time when stocks have bad returns. So that's actually the years in which uh, gold has done the best is when stocks have been decimated. So during this uh, COVID crash, gold did actually fairly well. Not as well as it has done during previous crashes, but that's because everything got beat up this time around. So to summarize, gold has been used and has had value for a long time. It will continue to have value. I do not believe it's an apocalyptic asset class that you're going to be uh, saved from oblivion in a worst case scenario should you own a lot of gold. I'd rather own bottled water penicillin, penicillin and lead bullets, but that's just me. Um, I'm not, I, I wouldn't advocate for golds over stocks or over bonds. I would add, advocate for gold as a slice of your pie or silver or whatever it may be. If you hear gold's at a 30-year high or silver's at a 30-year high or whatever's at a 30-year high, if it doesn't pay dividend or interest, that means it took you 30 years to break even if that's when you bought it, okay? And last thing being is that there are a lot of different ways to invest in gold. So you really do need to understand what you're doing. Uh, again, I'm not going to make fun of anybody for having a couple thousand dollars worth of gold in a safe in their house because it, it's, a, it's a relatively good store of value. And, uh, you know, if, if, if it's a couple thousand dollars, likely it's not a huge section of your net worth. What I will say is that if you are going to add uh, gold to your investment portfolio, you got to know what you're doing. You got to know what you're at your buying, whether you're buying gold mining stocks or gold bullying backed ETFs or whatever it may be. You got to know what you're doing. And too much, sometimes less is more, right? So they did a study up to two, five, ten percent. I imagine that they probably did a study, or there is some out there at 15, 20, 30 percent, and that there is a, a point at which you hit an inflection where adding too much gold to a portfolio actually has a negative impact on returns and risk because as a standalone, it is a volatile asset class, meaning it goes up and down a lot. It goes up and down almost as much as stocks. And the rate of return on it is in fact lower than stocks going back to 1980, significantly lower. However, it has done well, gold has done well during most downturns, okay? So that's this week's episode of Prosperity by the Pine. I'm super happy to be back. Hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe, share, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, Apple, Google Podcasts, wherever you watch, wherever you listen, that's where we are. Cheers.
The topics that I discuss in this podcast are meant to be general information and educational only. I'm not giving you specific advice because I don't know you personally. In order to give you specific advice, you should work with an advisor or someone that can learn your specific situation and give you advice that applies to you. If I talk about a specific security, please keep in mind I'm not recommending that security. And don't forget, investing involves risk. When you invest, there's always the possibility of losing capital, which is why you should consult with a qualified, licensed financial advisor prior to investing.